0: Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. This is Tina Sting, and I'm joined today by my amazing co host, Julie Fudge Smith. And today we decided, apparently, to kick the hornet's nest. So, both Julie and I have had long careers counseling families in particular about how to handle and manage and try to improve relationships between their dogs and their kids and their families. And what we're going to try to grapple today is that breed matters. The temperament and the job a dog is designed to do matters more than whether or not that dog sheds. And you're not likely to change the nature of the beast. So today we're going to talk about how the nature of the beast matters and if you absolutely have a dog-shaped hole in your heart that is a breed group that does not easily fold into your family, what you can do to still maybe fill that hole in your heart, but to do it in a way that doesn't result in heartbreak. So Julie, now that I've given an excellent and Long winded monologue of an opening. Have you had cases recently, or should I maybe talk some of my cases recently? Like, what would be helpful?
1: Well, I was going to say, I can give you an example of of one that I had. Uh, It wasn't recently, it was a couple years ago, but I guess in geological times, that's recent. So, a few years ago, I did have a client, and they had gotten a Great Pyrenees puppy, and they had gotten it from, I remember correctly, from somebody who breeds Great Pyrenees as working dogs. Now, Great Pyrenees are great dogs. They're wonderful dogs and they do their job of watching guarding sheep extraordinarily well. In fact, when Brad and I were actually in the Pyrenees, we saw these dogs in action and they were really cool. But the problem was they tend to bond very closely to, at least in this particular incident, they bonded very closely to one member of the family and they bond to whomever they're asked to take care of, whether it's goats or sheep or whatever. And so these people had a small herd of goats, I mean like four or five, and it was very bonded to the goats and it was very bonded to the wife. And it, it tolerated the rest of the family, but it really loved the wife. But what it didn't love was anybody that came on the farm. He would guard the goats from the UPS man and the mailman and the FedEx guy and any other neighbors who happened to drive over. And their job is to protect this herd. And I remember we were in the Pyrenees and Brad and I were turning our car on. We backed into a small driveway or like bump in the road. And we stopped to check the map and this head rose up in our rear view mirror of a Great Pyrenees. And he was having none of us being that close to his sheep. And so she was trying to ask me, trying to get me to teach this dog to be accepting of strangers. And I'm like, you're asking me to try and change the fundamental nature of what this dog was literally bred to do for centuries. And is that fair to the dog? And especially if they have a great Pyrenees in the city. I don't understand that at all. These people lived on a farm. They apparently had the ideal situation, but the problem is people still go to farms. And Great Pyrenees and Anatolians, they are independent, smart dogs who are used to making decisions on their own. And so their idea of your suggestion for me to come is merely a suggestion, is part and parcel of who these dogs are and may or may not make them a good member of the family so that was the most recent incident I had which was to try and get me to figure out a way to fundamentally change the nature of the dog which I can't do because I'm not God
0: right so I mean sometimes we can get creative and we can do really good workarounds but it's still it's not elegant typically and it's far easier to just have a better fit from the start. So Livestock Guardian dogs are designed to guard from man and beast. They are also beautiful.
1: They are some of the most gorgeous dogs I've ever seen in my
0: life. Absolutely. Yes. And the idea of having a protector in the house, you know, for all of us, the world's a little fascinating at the moment. And so having the idea of a big dog in our household who helps kind of keep everyone safe and keep an eye on everyone is it's an appealing idea right that being said in practice it generally doesn't work very well and i would agree with you specifically the closer dogs are to their working heritage the less likely a wonderful match is going to be so for those of us who are in relationships prince or princess charming Probably was more about the attributes of the individual, the characteristics, that person's ethics, their virtue, all of the characteristics of the individual and less about how tall that person is or what color their hair is. While we might have preferences, those physical characteristics don't have nearly the weight, ideally, in the decision making as the quality of the character. And we all have a different list of what those characteristics are. And when I'm talking to families about choosing a dog, many times I'm talking to them about when you close your eyes and you imagine your life in the company of a dog, what are the things your family likes to do? A family that's highly social is not going to enjoy having a dog who is afraid of strangers and won't let them come in or is guarding the property. That becomes very dangerous and uncomfortable very quickly. It does, it does. Tina is absolutely spot on. And
1: one of the things that I tell people above and beyond anything else is temperament trumps looks every day of the week and twice on Sunday. You can have a dog that looks terrible, but it's absolutely perfect with your kids and you're going to love that dog and your kids are going to love that dog. And that's going to be the right dog for you. And one of the problems, what we're talking about here is the innate temperament of these dogs and the innate temperament of these dogs may or may not be a good match for your family. And you have to understand that that temperament is going to trump any other decision that you
0: make. Right. And especially when a family gets a puppy, Right. You can go into all of it going, okay, well, we'll see how this is going to go. But then you see the cute little polar bear puppy, right? Or the cute little border collie puppy. We all love all those breeds. And that's part of it. I love the breeds enough to recognize who they are and to understand they're magnificent and not ask them to be something they're not. So, for example, a really recent case I have, the puppy is now 11 months old and cannot really live. In suburban life. Her parents were literally goat guardian dogs in a field, and she has her owner's done an amazing job. She's socialized, she's fed beautifully, she's handled this dog, she's done an amazing job. And this dog is a dog who needs to live in a field with goats and have like one person she loves. And I think one of the biggest heartbreaking pieces is nobody, like the dog isn't being bad. The owner is lovely. She's done an amazing job. She's exactly who everyone wants to have a dog, but they can't live together because it's getting dangerous and no one did anything wrong. And it's not going to manifest until a dog starts maturing. So you can totally get the cute little polar bear puppy and go, no, everything was great. And then like a light switch, it changes and those working drives start to kick in. And some of those breeds do only have a zero and a 10. They, they don't have a very nice three and a half. Right,
1: because they're so closely still tied to their original purpose.
0: Yes, they were never intended To be packed. Right, to be a family dog. And these
1: are working dogs like the Anatolian. They have been working dogs in the Anatolian mountains of Turkey for hundreds, hundreds of years. They have been doing this job. And this is a dog who is left alone on a mountainside with a herd of sheep or herd of goats for weeks at a time and is expected to make its own decisions to guard its flock.
0: And put out there when they're five weeks old. It's a fascinating thing when you dig into the science of it all, like how amazing truly these dogs are. But heartbreaking for this family. They love this dog. This dog loves them. And yet the stress of living in an apartment in a small city is excruciating for this dog. She's constantly bombarded by strangers and activity and other dogs and all sorts of things that she should instinctively not be terribly accepting of. And that all is going to feel like a threat to her, whether it is or not, because that is what she is genetically programmed to do. So one of the things that this owner and I talked about, because she said, well, I know great Pyrenees who aren't this way, or I know Anatolians that aren't this way. And I'm like, you're right. I can totally meet with a family that has a Border Collie who lays on a sofa all day long. But that dog is the anomaly. That dog is not the typical Border Collie. I often say it's a little bit like marriage. Like you really only see the 3%. When you're meeting someone else's dog, you're really only understanding the 3% of the iceberg that's above the waterline. You don't have the, experience, the other 97% of the experience. I know far more families who cannot have people to their home because they have a livestock guardian dog who loves their family and loves them but they cannot have visitors they have a delivery box at the end of the driveway that that's where any deliveries are delivered with a lock so that people do not come to their front door because it's not safe and it's not because the dog's being bad. No, it's because the dog's being the dog. The dog is doing exactly what the dog is designed to do. Well,
1: one of the other things I was going to say, too, in conjunction with this, is that one of the reasons why you are not likely from these particular breeds, from a good breeder, to get the dog that you want that has the sociability level that you want, is because those dogs, when they appear, are not bred. You don't breed a dog that doesn't have the characteristics that you want. One of the reasons why I have Zuzu is because, while her conformation is very nice, Zuzu doesn't have it all there to be the kind of flat coat that my breeder wants to breed. So she knew by the time Zuzu was about one or a little bit over that she wasn't going to breed her because she didn't have all the characteristics of the breed in the way that Judy wanted them to be. And it's the same thing if you go to a breeder who specializes in these dogs, they are going to be breeding the dogs that best exemplify the characteristics of the breed, including the temperament, which is one of the reasons why it's really hard to find the family dog. It's kind of like with Labradors. Right now, if you want a Labrador retriever, you can find Labrador retrievers that don't retrieve because they're bred for family dogs. If you want a hunting dog, you go to a hunting line
0: Because that's what they're bred for. Right. So what I would say is for all these families who are like, no, 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 dog trainer, I have to have the dog that looks like this silhouette, right? This is the breed that I must have. That's kind of incompatible with your lifestyle. Then what I'm going to tell you to do is to go to reputable breeders, search for a really long time to find that anomalous dog. And then drive wherever you need to drive to go pick him or her up so that you get a dog who is a perfect fit for your family. Because to try to get a puppy to grow up into something it's not intended to be is going to be excruciating for the dog, the kids. And your whole family and then you're in a position where there are only limited options so this sweet dog that i was talking about earlier she's going to start in the next three months to decide that all strangers are bad if and when that happens if she hasn't already been moved into a home better suited for her she won't be able to do that and we won't have any options Because that window of her bonding to whoever's going to be her caretaker will have closed and she won't accept a new person. So that's where we start getting into really awful, heartbreaking waters that nobody wants to be in. Absolutely. So you can go to Showline Livestock Guardian Dogs and get their retired adult dog who wouldn't guard a stake if you gave it to them that dog can absolutely probably transition into your home and your kids beautifully and be a wonderful playmate and member of the family. But to go and get the puppy off of Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or at your local flea market, the very real chances are that you're going to end up with a situation that ends in you all being very, very sad. And this, by the way, is true exactly the same way for the people who get a Cocker Spaniel, and own a Parrot, or who have a Jack Russell and the kids want to have guinea pigs. While we are specifically talking about, in this case, two dogs who are livestock guardian dogs, this is true for any of the breed groups that have jobs to do. There is a breed group called non-sporting. Those dogs are typically designed to be family pets. Right. Absolutely.
1: So one of the things I want to say is I know that there tends to be this this trend towards the only way to get a dog is to adopt. Well, I think that there is no one right way. There are many wrong ways to get a dog, but there's no one right way. And if you have, as Tina said, this specific shaped dog heart hole in your heart and you have to have it, how do I find a reputable breeder? Well, for one thing, I have a training guide out now called How To, and it talks about how to choose a breed, how to choose a dog trainer, how to choose a good breeder, how to choose a rescuer shelter, how to choose a dog. So we'll put a link to those. So if you're in that stage of how do I find the dog, the breed or whatever, that might be a good training guide for you. But the second thing I wanted to say is Brad and I went to Westminster Dog Show a few years ago and we lived in Princeton. And so it was just a train ride up. And I got a breed guide. Anyway, through the AKC, like for example, when we were looking for clumbers, we went and looked at all the clumbers that were there. We went through the list of breeders at the back and we called or talked to them and they know one another. We talked to a guy in Michigan who said, I'm not breeding right now, but there's a woman down in Tennessee you should talk to and, or one in Ohio or whatever. So You can go to the AKC website. You can go to the Westminster website. You can call me. I'd be happy to give you the names of the breeders in the back of the book that I have. Get started in calling and talking and emailing them. Take a look at their website. If they're not having puppies or they don't have a dog that they can adopt out, they can help you find another breeder. And all those ones who are probably showing their dogs at Westminster, or Westminster, I should say, are probably pretty reputable breeders. So there is a place to get started in doing that. But Tina is absolutely positively right. You need to do your research and you need to prepare to spend some time to get it right. It took us, I think it was nine months to find Clementine. Right. And don't be
0: upset when a breeder or a rescue tells you no. They're not judging you. They know that dog, that individual dog, better than you do. And they're advocating for the dog and for your family. They don't want you to have an awful experience. They don't want the dog to have an awful experience. That's part of what a reputable breeder or a reputable rescue is doing. So can you go to Great Pyrenees Rescue and find the peer who would not guard anything? Probably, but the rescue's going to know whether that dog is good with other dogs, good with cats, good with kids, good with the UPS guy. They're going to benefit you. I love the average shelter. I support our local shelter. I was president of a Humane Society board for over a decade, but when we are talking about these kinds of decisions, they typically do not have the expertise to assess all of those things that are so important to your family for many of them their system is completely overloaded especially if they're a public intake shelter and they are doing the absolute best they can but they generally are just really their primary mission is get dogs in homes and they sometimes simply don't have the time and resources to do evaluation and to get to know a dog very well. Where rescue, those dogs are living in someone's home. And I'm not beating up on shelters. I'm not, I promise. Absolutely amazing dogs. shelter. If your situation's not super complicated, you can go evaluate or you can take a reputable trainer with you to help do some sort of evaluation of that dog before you bring it home. But I'm not going to bring home just any guy because he's over 5'3 and likes cars. Like the qualifications for being my partner in my family is more considerable than that list.
1: Right. And so I think it's important to understand that a reputable reader should be asking you a lot of questions, should be asking a lot of questions about your lifestyle and your home and, you know, how do you plan on exercising the dog? And I remember when I called... Judy, my flat coat breeder, she and I talked on the phone well over an hour before she agreed to let me come and see her dogs. I still had to fill out the application and the long sheep, It almost feels like it's more difficult than adopting a child. But what they're trying to do is make sure that their dogs, as you said, are in the best possible situation and that they give you the best possible dog for your situation. So work with them. They're there to help you because they know what they have. Right. And they also know their breed better than you do. And so they may be asking you questions about your lifestyle. And how do you plan on walk the dog and what kind of training do you want to do? And so on and so forth, because they need to know whether or not their breed is actually compatible with you.
0: Right. It will sometimes feel like judging. I try to say to people, it's kind of like shoe shopping. If I go to the shoe department and I'm like, hey, this is what I need. And this is what size my feet are. It doesn't matter how cute or awesome or perfect all of the shoes that don't fit me are. I can admire those shoes, but they're not going to be a good fit. And that doesn't mean, well, in the case of my feet, they're probably never going to be a good fit. But what I would say about breeds and breed groups is as our life changes as we develop and mature. Sometimes we do grow into a breed or a breed group that maybe wasn't a great fit at one developmental stage, but is at another. Good point. Very
1: good point. Tina, you're just making all the great points today. And I'm just sitting here going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to reiterate what Tina said so that maybe I sound smart too. You're just hoping they're all
0: mad at me that I get all the hate mail.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Your lifestyle changes. I know that when we first got married, the dog that we got was a great dog and he fit into our family to begin with when we started having kids. You know, Clementine being Clementine and we love her to death, but I'm kind of glad we don't have kids right now because, you know, kids do things like, I don't know, for goodness sake, set their plate on the counter. Heaven forbid they should do that. And Clementine's like, oh, you must have put it up there for me. So, I mean, it's hard enough for Brad and I to keep the counters clean, much less to try and do it if we had three or four kids. So while she's a happy, fun dog and she's great with the grandkids, on a daily basis, it would be exhausting. Let's put it that way. So I kind of feel like, yeah, you grow into and maybe out of dogs. Although I don't think I could ever grow out of flat-coated retrievers because they just I just had this huge flat-coated retriever section of my heart. It just is. I can't do anything about it.
0: Right. And so what I would say is finding the individual dog that's the right fit is really, really important. And again, so according to the Mayo Clinic, no dogs are hypoallergenic. It's whether or not an individual is having a reaction to an individual dog. And by the way, that won't show up while the dog's the puppy because their coat texture is different. They're not producing dander. So I just see so much heartbreak that... If we had done things a little bit different way, it might have been really different without a bunch of heartbreak. Honestly, the families who do what I ask them to do usually don't need me. Yes. They never pay me a penny. Absolutely. And I will sing all day long how lovely that is, right? Like, please get the right dog and have it seamlessly fit in your home. And to be clear, the vast majority of the time... What I direct the people to is something completely different than what they had in mind when they started the journey. But when they bring that dog home and they live with it for six months, they're like, for goodness sakes, we would have missed out on a really amazing fit. Yes. And again, the dogs that I loved in my youth that I was like, I'm going to have one of those. Thank goodness I had them in my youth because at 52, I am no longer a good fit for many of those breeds. It doesn't mean they're not amazing dogs. And it doesn't mean I'm not a great owner. I am recognize who I am and how much time I have and how much bandwidth I have. Right. So, you know, I might be able to do the work to look good in a bikini at 52, but I'm probably not going to. So I'm not going to get a German short-haired pointer and suddenly take up marathon running. Like that's not likely to happen which would mean that I would need to find an adult German short hair pointer who loves cats and doesn't want a bunch of exercise. So as a family, when you're thinking about adding another dog to your household, I want you to begin with making a list of what are the things our family likes to do today? And what are we going to enjoy doing ideally over the next 15 years? also thinking about how social your family is for my household we're relatively introverted so having introverted dogs who aren't highly social isn't a major problem we have one hugely social dog he goes and does outings when i have to do something out in public where he needs to be comfortable with all manner of people touching him because he's down with that our other three dogs Are like hey how are you but they don't they don't want a long-term relationship with every stranger they meet that's okay that's how my life is designed if i still had school-age kids and there were 30 kids be bopping in and out of my house every day that would not be a good fit and it would be very uncomfortable so dogs are just not infinitely adjustable the same way we're not infinitely adjustable So if you begin with what our family does and what we're going to do in the future, and then you add what are the characteristics of a family dog in our household, then typically you can contact a reputable breeder or behavior professional who can help you navigate finding the right dog. And we're not selling dogs. I don't have an inventory of dogs that I'm trying to place in homes. So, I'm genuinely on your family's team and on any dog's team to find the right spot. Absolutely. To be honest, we live with a dog who is excruciating to live with. He is very uncomfortable to live with. But unless and until I find a perfect place for him, he's staying here and I will take on the excruciating, uncomfortable living with him. And he's a great dog. He's just an awful fit for our family. He makes... The entire household stressful. So we do the best we can. We do some training. We do enrichment. We do a ton of management. And we make the best of it. But I don't want that for any family. I said to Christopher the other day, there was a time I had three elementary school-aged children and nine dogs. And it was easier than these four dogs and no kids. Oh, and I think at that point we had four cats too it was easier. So I think back to how easy all of those dogs were. And I will tell you, as much as I love the dogs we have, I would prefer to have dogs that were easier fits into our life. Right.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting to me is that a lot of my friends who are trainers, we had easy dogs. And it's not necessarily because, well, at least in my case, it's not necessarily because I'm a fabulous trainer. It's because I sought out easier dogs in my own life because I deal with the difficult dogs all day long. I wanted to come home to something that was a little bit saner for me. So I think that working with a trainer is something, you know, to consider doing as well because they've probably seen a lot of different things and they probably know because they've seen a situation that might be similar to yours or they've been in a situation that's similar to yours or they've had like Tina's had times in her life where things were really easy with the dogs and times when it's difficult. I've had difficult times with some of my dogs too. So we have a great deal of sympathy for the situation that you're in, but we also have a great deal of experience with a variety of situations and can probably help you get directed towards a dog that's going to fit into your life. Well, and
0: to be clear, three of the four dogs that we live with, I didn't choose They were owners, surrenders, or came from rescue. Now, in the case of the rescue I dealt with, and I love them, they didn't know the dog was deaf. Now, I don't know if it's they didn't have him very long or if, honestly, it's a pug, and they don't really listen to you anyway. (laughs) So they were like, eh, maybe he just doesn't listen when you ask him to do stuff, right? Like, it took us, I'm a professional trainer. It took me forever to arrive at, no, I think he's actually, like, seriously, seriously hard of hearing or deaf. It wasn't, it's not like he held up a sign and was doing an ALS. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes because deaf dogs learn how to compensate in an environment to a certain extent. And so it can be something that's a little bit sticky to figure out. But what I would say is three of the four dogs in my households, my household are here because they were awful fits for someone else's house. Again, it's not the people's fault. And it's likely not the dog's fault. The dog that's excruciating to live with, his prey drive is through the roof. That is what makes him difficult to live with. It's a terrier. He's doing exactly what he is designed to do. I just prefer not to have dogs in my HVAC system. So, you know, he's positive he heard something. Like, he's not being bad. He's just, you got to be on top of your game knowing what's going on in order to manage him to keep him from hurting himself or destroying our house. And again, he's not being bad. He's not being malicious. He's very sweet. He's just not easy to live with because he has very high drive.
1: Right. Well, one of the things that I, I also wanted to mention was, as I said, uh, it took us nine months to find Clementine. I had one family whose dog they chose to humanely euthanize due to serious behavior problems, and they wanted another dog. It took us two years to find them the right dog. And they were really patient. And I would say, okay, I think I found a dog that might work for you. Go check it out. And they would go and they would check it out and say, it's a lovely dog. Not for us. When I finally found Rudy, they were like, this is it. And Rudy has been, every time I see them at math, they're like so excited. Because this is three years after rudy entered their home and every day they feel like this is such an incredible gift to our family and that's what i think tina and i are striving for what we're trying to say to you is we want you to wake up every day and look at that furry little face and say thank the lord That this little guy arrived in our household because I can't imagine life without him. That's one of my success stories. I've had other ones where it hasn't gone nearly as well, but I always sort of default to that saying if you are willing to put in the time and the willingness to say, no, my heart's not singing on this one, you will find the right dog. And so be sure to welcome questions that breeders or rescues may ask you. Ask a lot of questions yourself. Have a clear idea of what it is about a dog that makes your heart sing. You won't get everything. But there's a good chance you can find somebody who'll give you most everything that makes your heart sing if you're willing to wait for the right dog. Well, the more
0: things that are a great match, the fewer things there is to have angst over. Right. Especially now. The Rottweilers are not what Rottweilers were when I were 15. They're not the same dogs anymore. German Shepherds are not the same dogs they were when I was 20. They're very different dogs today. Absolutely. Part of what I see happen is, is people who their families have had German Shepherds their whole life, and then they didn't have German Shepherds because they had little kids, and now their kids are older, and they go and get a German Shepherd. They're like, this is awful. This is not what I signed up for. And I'm like, right, because the dogs have changed. Exactly the same way that our families and our lifestyles have changed. It's the rare family that I get to see today, who everyone sits down around the kitchen table with no phones, and eats a family dinner. I love when a family can do that. Not all families can do that. Well, German shepherds are one of those breeds who need a lot of predictability in their life. So if your family is running from T-ball practice to soccer to piano to the next thing, generally speaking, most German shepherds are really going to struggle with that. It's too much activity for them to be able to just let go and relax and settle in. Now, can we find that dog? Sure. But it's going to take a while and it's going to be more complicated than just talking to the first breeder we find. And to a certain extent, pricing goes in there too. Like I see a lot of doodles, the inexpensive doodles, you're paying for it in dog training because there's tons of stuff going on. So There's a little bit of finding a reputable breeder isn't even easy anymore. It's very difficult to navigate. It is. So for example, when I get amazing dog through my service, I'm like, when somebody wants this breed, can I call you and get your breeders information?
1: I do exactly the same thing. I I had a golden, golden retrievers are wonderful dogs, but the problem is goldens are, are the number one cancer breed in the country right alongside rottweilers and so it's really it's heartbreaking to get goldens because of the the cancer issue if nothing else and they tend to believe it or not resource guard and so people think of this as these perfect family dogs but for a lot of reasons it can be a difficult breed and i had a client who had the best golden retriever i have seen in 20 years it was just the most fabulous dog and so i did exactly that I had somebody wanted a golden retriever and I said, check out this breeder because the dog that I saw and trained was one of the best dogs I have ever seen in my life. Now in Granville, they have polo matches on Sundays on this big lawn called the Brindu lawn. And we were out there one day for watching polo and somebody was there with a corgi and this was the most fabulous corgi. It was just hysterical. It was a great dog, wasn't plussed by anything that was happening around it. And my daughter, who had been thinking about a corgi, she just went over and talked to them and and talked to them about their dog and where they got it. So if you see a dog that you really like, especially if it's one that you you watch, like your neighbor gets a really terrific corgi or whatever, don't hesitate to talk to people. Most people want to talk about their dogs. So, you know, at least it's a place to start. I got
0: to visit Texas a few years ago. And... Texas is one of those places that I have considered that if I didn't love where I lived, that that is one of the places I've considered. I have extended family who live there. I have been told many, many times that I would very much enjoy Texas. And so when I went to visit, I asked random people who were friendly, which by the way was pretty much everybody, friendly and polite, like a beautiful mix. But I said, like, what's the best thing about Texas And what's the worst thing about Texas, right? The same thing. If you said to me, what's the best thing about your pug? I would say he takes absolutely nothing seriously. If you ask me what the worst thing about the pug is, it's health issues and that he doesn't take anything seriously, even when it's serious. It's that golden mean, which can be a virtue, can also be a vice. Yes, right. So if you want a dog who's going to be in obedient and not embarrass you not not really the dog for you and he's very funny so when he's demoing polite leash walking class he walks in slow-mo you can do a voiceover for the whole thing he's like hmm i'm distracted by this pebble he exasperates my staff with these hijinks he's just being funny he's just a plucky little dude my two pariah dogs from Turks and Caicos. I do not expect them to be highly social dogs. They're just not going to be. They have a short list, probably 30 people who they adore. And we are always working to make that list a little bit bigger and to expand their world a little bit. But I'm to try to have these dogs when I had young kids... It would have been awful. It would have been a bad fit for the dogs and it would have been awful for the kids. I wouldn't have been able to just leave the door unlocked and let people blast in and out.
1: Yeah, so I I think that it's just take a solid measurement of your lifestyle. Take a solid measurement of how active you are. Take a solid measurement. How much money do you want to spend? Because that's going to make a difference too. And just be willing to take a step back Do the research, ask the questions, talk to people, get yourself a trainer to help you if necessary.
0: And there are some trade-offs. You have a trade-off with the flat coats, right? Health is a huge concern, right? It's huge. So you are willing, you have been willing to navigate, okay, we're going to have health insurance for the dog. We're going to monitor health like a hawk. We're going to do whatever genetic testing we can do. And we're going to brace ourselves that we might not have a long life with this dog. But you've decided, your family decided, that all of the benefits of a flat coat make up for those things you need to be concerned about. Right? You've made that that trade. And we all hope Zuzu lives forever. But your heart is probably a little bit guarded that you're like, eh. The cancer thing's a problem.
1: Right. And in fact, last week she was at the vet because when we got back from our vacation in in Georgia, she wouldn't jump on the bed, which she normally do. And I'm like, that's not right. And and this goes on for two days. And I immediately called the vet and said, I need to get her in because of the fact that these dogs suffer from histiocytic sarcoma. And oftentimes it's it's reflected in their joints. And so I got her in. It turns out she had a little bit of a compressed disc in the thoracic region and it's treated with prednisone and rest, and she's doing fabulously, and absolutely no indication of histiocytic. But I wasn't going to wait, because it this is a hideous cancer that's very quick, and you want to stay on top of it as soon as you can. So it's just one of those consequences of that particular breed. So that's the other thing is that it boils down to, is if you have an Anatolian-shaped heart, and you really need to have one, make sure you truly understand what this means to have this breed and what is all about that particular breed. Because I think if you don't,
0: you're in for probably some real heartache. We can't only choose the attributes we want, and we don't get to decide how much that attribute is going to present. So again, we get back to the nature of the beast. Right. There's some of it that's not all that adaptable and changeable. Right.
1: So I think... The the lesson to be learned here is when you begin to suspect or if you suspect that this was not a good decision or that things are starting to go in a direction you don't think that they should go or your dog is exhibiting behavior that makes you uncomfortable, dogs grow into their behaviors, not out of them. So the soonest you notice behaviors that are disconcerting to you or maladaptive perhaps to your environment get yourself a good positive reinforcement trainer to evaluate the situation so that your options remain open. You don't want to get to the point where you have forced your dog and yourself into very few, if no other alternatives. So especially if you're dealing with a breed who's closely related to its original purpose and you start having issues related to that disposition get yourself help sooner rather than later. It might be remediable, it might not, but you want to leave as many
0: options open as possible. Right, because you don't want to wait. So part of it is like our hearts just want it to go well. Oh, maybe she'll grow out of it. And even a well-meaning trainer will be like, well, we can do all this management. We can do all these things. In the end, there's a certain amount of the nature of the beast that you are not going to change. And so I run the risk that everyone listening to the podcast is going to be really, really angry with me that somehow I'm saying something ugly about people or families or any specific group of dogs. I promise you, I'm not. There's a little bit of holding up a mirror that this is who these dogs are intended to be. And unless you have a situation that matches the lifestyle that that dog is intended to fit into, it might bear taking some time and reevaluating whether or not that's the best choice for your family and for the dog. Because I want your heart to sing. I want people to love their dogs and to love their families and for it to be easy, or at least as easy as it can be, right? To be a great fit. So do your research, talk to people,
1: contact somebody, who knows the breed really well and can explain the advantages and disadvantages so that you can more realistically evaluate whether this is the right breed for you. Talk to a trainer if problems begin to arise. And make sure that you and the dog are both happy in your lifestyle choices together. And hopefully stay tuned to your family dog. Don't don't tune us out. If we tread on some toes, we're sorry, but we really wanted to bring this to the forefront that sometimes you just have to understand temperament matters disposition matters, breed matters. Anything you want to add, Tina?
0: You're welcome to send hate mail. We'll try not to take it personally. So it's one of those things, like I can only give you my 30 some years of experience, right? I'm sure that you can find a whole slew of people who would say that I'm being unfair and I'm wrong and whatever, right? That they can fix anything and that's okay. They are welcome to their opinion. Take their opinion in too. What I would say is I tend to value the information that I don't want to hear, at least as much as the information I do want to hear, right? I don't want a whole bunch of confirmation bias. The cost is really high for my family if that's what I do. So write us, maybe even come on and talk to us about it.
1: Yeah. If you wanted to discuss it with us, we're more than happy to have you on your family dog. If you want to send any information or any feedback, please send it to feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. So thanks for listening and we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions, interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.